0: It's not to say that you can't have a digital presence to be a good Christian, but because we are embodied people and bearing the image of God, we are we are limited to a time and space and that is what God desires for us. And it's only in time being rooted and embedded in a particular place where we actually can be known and loved and uh, I think that that's what we all want, that's what we're made for.
1: Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Caitlin Beatty is the author of Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church. In a starred Review, Publishers Weekly called the book, a must read for anyone invested in the fate of evangelicalism. In this episode, Caitlin and I talk about the difference between fame and celebrity, the need to challenge celebrity culture, and the importance of embodied community in an ever more digitized world. Caitlin Beatty, I'm very glad to have you on the Habit Podcast today.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Uh, uh, So your uh, newish book, well, new book, came out in August, (laughs) is that right?
0: Two weeks ago. So Uh still, I think we're still in the new window.
1: So not newish, it's new. Um, Celebrities for Jesus. Um, tell me about this book. What's, what's your short summary of what's happening in this book?
0: My short summary is that celebrity dynamics in much of the American church have been unexamined and have been detrimental to the church's witness. Mm-hmm. And so we, we all need to be equipped to understand how celebrity works, Mm -hmm. What those dynamics look like, whether it's in our local church, in a ministry context, when we're thinking about Christian book publishing and social media influence, um, Mm -hmm. just being being wise about those dynamics so that Mm -hmm. we can ultimately recapture a vision of ordinary faithfulness off the screen and off the stage.
1: Uh, Right. Um, You say at one point uh, we in the church, have, have or at least in the American church, have uh, mimic celebrity culture rather than challenging it. Um, what does challenging celebrity culture look like in a church context?
2: Mm. Well,
0: some of this comes back to a responsibility of, of leaders or anyone with a public presence to use whatever platform they have not to draw attention to themselves, not to use it to kind of ingratiate themselves or feed their ego, but to serve instead of be served. So some of this is a a call of spiritual responsibility. Um, Accountability is part of this as well. But I think even deeper, evangelicals, by and large, tend to be very pragmatic people.
2: <laughs> yeah. we,
0: we want to reach as many people as possible with the gospel using whatever tools are available to us to reach people. And there has often been a kind of naivete about how mm-hmm. the tools themselves are shaping us or distorting the message that we're offering to people. Mm-hmm. So celebrity... I think has been seen as a, as a tool. Like if I have a big platform or a big following, I can use that to share the gospel with more people, but celebrity isn't a neutral tool. You know, it, Mm -hmm. it, it shapes us and distorts the message that we're offering. If the message is about the son of God who came not to be served, but to serve who was not impressive or glamorous by the standards of his day who died in such a humiliating way um, who, who gave up power rather than hoarding it for himself or for his purposes. So celebrity has a way of distorting the message If what we're trying to point people to is that kind of savior.
1: Yeah. What you convert people through is what you convert people to perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, the, and and you also point out that that screens are for entertain, entertainment and for selling us stuff. And so we, <laughs> when we see a pastor on a screen, mm-hmm. as you said, this isn't neutral. This is, I, I expect to be entertained and I expect for somebody to sell me something.
0: Right. I mean, Neil Postman was writing about this almost 40 years ago in relation yeah. to Billy Graham in his book Amusing Ourselves to Death he talks about the rise of televangelists and
2: mm-hmm.
0: calls Billy Graham who by the way I I like you know I'm <laughs> I'm not down on Billy Graham yeah although I don't always like the Billy Graham rule but I'm not no. I'm a fan so to speak and also you know Neil Postman said that Billy Graham showed a gross theological Naivete or gross technological naivete in thinking that the tools of radio and television and newspapers were just simply neutral tools. Mm -hmm. Uh, Postman said that uh, when you present the gospel next to The Price is Right, The Nightly Dues, Oprah, you know, MTV, well, of course, that (laughs) people are going to receive your gospel message as uh, something to consume for entertainment or inspirational purposes yeah. absent an embodied community, which is central to what it means to be a Christian. It's central to what it means to follow Jesus. If your message is not calling people deeper into that embodied community, then there is a, uh, there's a disconnect between uh-huh. your message and the core of the Christian message.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk to me? I, I love the distinction you make between uh, fame and celebrity. you say those two those are two things are not synonyms mm-hmm. or need, need, need not be synonyms anyway. Mm-hmm. Tell me about mm-hmm. that
0: Yeah, well, I think of fame as something that can come to someone as a result of a life well lived it could be mm-hmm. because of their accomplishments, their creative work, their uh, advocacy or activism it can be it can be Simply because you lived the virtuous life. I mean, even in the Christian story, the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, a kind like the lineage of famous Christians who have run mm-hmm. the race well, and we we can emulate them or or seek to model our lives after them. Um, so, you know, if fame comes to you, then the responsibility is, what do I do with this fame now that I have it? But it's something that is healthy when it is kind of unbidden. And mm-hmm. as a result of good things, celebrity is a relatively new and modern phenomenon because it relies on the tools of mass media to project an image or a personal brand that isn't so much about your work or even your message, but is about forming a kind of falsely intimate relationship between yourself and your fans or followers. Mm-hmm. Um, about kind of pro- projecting or presenting an image of oneself um, that inspires a kind of adoration in a way that I don't think fame necessarily does. So, in that regard, celebrity is really, I think, touching on deeply existential and even spiritual dynamics of worship in a way. That's Mm -hmm. what it's inspiring in us who are fans, so to speak, in a way that fame more often than not keeps us focused on the effects of someone's life, which is, which is, which is healthier than Mm -hmm. the kind of attachment to an image or a persona.
1: So in a um, connected, you know, digital world, can a person be famous and not a celebrity??
2: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. i I suppose because
0: when we think about, you know i I have a background in journalism mm-hmm. and used to work in a magazine. Of course, being in a digital world means we needed to publish online, <laughs> you know <laughs> and so, you know if you write for a magazine or a newspaper or an, a website your byline is going to be attached to your work people might mm-hmm. start following you but again the connection is to your work ideally mm-hmm. the the quality of your writing if you're a journalist maybe you've just done some big investigation into something important people are appreciative of you uncovering some injustice or digging into something that they want to understand better so in that way, I think you can be famous for your work mm-hmm. in the digital world without it inspiring the kind of fandom mm-hmm. that celebrity does. You know, mm-hmm. the the writers and journalists I follow online, I don't feel a strangely intimate attachment to them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I just
0: walk away and think, gosh, I'm really glad that they wrote that.
1: Yeah. You know, I was the, the example that maybe my example is instructive. I, I thought... Uh, The famous person who was not a celebrity maybe was the um, the pilot who landed the plane on the Hudson River years Mm. ago. But then Mm -hmm. the fact that I can't even remember his name, maybe (laughs) maybe. Scully, Scully. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, again, I, I don't remember his name. don't know what he looks like. Mm hmm. I don't know if he counts as famous or not, but he's Mm -hmm. he's not much of a celebrity. I mean, I I don't have any sense of, you know, like intimacy, false intimacy about Scully.
0: Right. And I I would imagine I could be wrong about this. I'm not going to go do a deep Internet dive on Scully right now. (laughs) But I imagine that he has not continued to seek fame post- heroic event <laughs> right. right like I, well he probably got offered a book deal there's, yeah, there's say, no doubt about that bit,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> but he's not continuing to show up in the limelight mm-hmm. to build the scully the scully brand, brand the scully yeah. following you know yeah. i'm 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 assuming he is someone who is pretty content just going about his work of flying planes <laughs>
1: yeah right
0: you know, so I think that's a great example. Um, someone who is known to us, who we're talking about now because he did something amazing that saved people's lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love your formulation that the right kind of fame is the byproduct of a life well lived and not a product of a of image management or, or an image well managed, I think the way you, you put it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so I uh I like it, it's helpful. You um there's a Hebrew word that you write about in the introduction to your book, um, and you're going to have to help me with the um, pronunciation. Sadik, I guess. T s a d d i q, a word I wasn't mm-hmm. familiar with. Tell me about that. It's 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 the um, it's kind of the maybe the a model for the right kind of fame, perhaps.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I. I learned this word through the work of Amy Sherman, an author who writes a lot about you know Christians' community engagement and pursuing shalom in their sphere of influence. And so the Sadiq are people written about in the Old Testament who were known for being people of virtue in the public square. They were, they were celebrated for their good works by people outside the faith because of how their presence and kind of quiet, faithful acts of goodness and service um, enriched other people's lives and contributed to others flourishing. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So that image of um, being a, being a presence in a place in a community it could be your neighborhood, your mm-hmm. workplace, your church, um, whatever sphere of influence you, you find yourself in, believing that the, the integrity and quiet acts of faithfulness that you display on behalf of your neighbors really can have a diffuse effect in the world. Mm-hmm. And that, in fact, we are centrally called to focus on our embedded communities more than Mm -hmm. whatever we project in the digital world. It's not to say that you can't have a digital presence to be a good Christian, but because we are embodied people Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and bearing the image of God, we are, we are limited to a time and space and that is what God desires for us and, and made us to be finite (laughs) in time and space. And it's only in time being rooted and embedded in a particular place where we actually can be known and loved. And uh, I think that that's what we all want. That's what we are made for. Mm-hmm. And what can happen with the celebrity dynamics is that we, we be, celebrity can pull us away from embodied communities. There's a yeah. disembodied aspect to it yeah. um, that feeds a craving to be adored, to be seen as worthy, to be seen as important or special. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not actually good for us. (laughs) It's not good for us. It's not good for us to start believing our own hype and going back to a kind of simulated presentation of the self to feed the hype. Um, We all, in order to flourish in the way that God designed for humans to flourish, we all need to be deeply known and deeply loved in embedded community. And I think celebrity has a way of working against that and making that harder.
1: Yeah. Almost by definition, celebrity or even fame is to be loved by people that we can't love back.
0: Um, right. So. And it and at first that might feel really good. It mm-hmm. might feel like love. You know, it's kind of akin to. Yeah. But we all need people who... Know our blind spots, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) our weaknesses, our growth opportunities. We Mm -hmm. might say, and still keep showing up,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: where their commitment to us is not contingent on how well we perform, or Mm -hmm. you know, the flashiness of the persona we show up with. It is. I have seen you in some of your worst places and i'm still showing up because i am for you yeah that is a transformative kind of love that the shadow of love that we might experience like on a stage when people are applauding for us doesn't can never really get to those yeah. people really only know us in our at our heights you know mm-hmm. or at our best or at our flashiest and yeah. We all need to be known for more than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Every, every biopic you've ever seen, um, and every episode of, you know, VH1 behind the music was the, <laughs> the person, you know, coming to a point where they think, all these people who adore me, if they really knew me, they they wouldn't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they only love me because they don't know me. And and it goes from I mean, this is exciting, these people don't even know me and they love me to if they did know me, they wouldn't love me.
0: Yeah, which is why I think, you know, I think it's easy to see celebrity figures as the problem, like, Mm -hmm. like they're just unhealthy people or they're just shallow people or something. But I argue in the book, you know, first of all, celebrity dynamics wouldn't exist without all of us feeding it on Mm -hmm. some level, you know, Mm -hmm. to for someone to end up on a pedestal. They need people putting them there. Yeah. But also celebrity is bad for the celebrity. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it it typically does not end well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a conversation with someone last week who said she said, celebrity is not thrivable. <laughs> it, <laughs> she's saying, I may I'm making up a word, but yeah, you can't thrive yeah. in that kind of intense spotlight. You can only hope to survive it mm-hmm. if you know, in more Christian terms, if God has called you to that space and you you find yourself. Under the intense spotlight, you can only hope to survive it by God's grace, but you cannot, you cannot thrive in mm-hmm. that. And, you know, it doesn't take long to, you know, we just have to scratch the surface of celebrity dynamics in Hollywood or, mm-hmm. you know, in the music industry
2: yeah.
0: to see a lot of celebrities... Mm-hmm. Are not doing well and haven't done well because of the immense pressures of the spotlight and this profound sense that people recognize me on the street and you know want to come see my newest movie and they have no knowledge of who I really am and who does really know who I am. Can someone really know? Can I really show up in the world as my full self?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody, uh, one of my friends recently remarked um, that. To not hold, you know, when we have people that we, whether they're pastors or celebrities, that we don't hold accountable, that's dehumanizing. To not hold Mm -hmm. somebody accountable to to worship them, for that Mm -hmm. matter, is dehumanizing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. And being dehumanized is not good for people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As a general rule. (laughs) As a
1: general rule, yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, all this. I mean, when you were to return to the idea of embodiment and the, the need to use our gifts in a, in an embodied community. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you, you know, the essay by Ron Hansen called Nebraska. He has a, he has a book called Nebraska. And one of the little mm. stories or essays in there is the, the, you know, is called Nebraska. And it's about this little town that, that those of us who might drive through would never think twice about. And, mm. um, and at one point he says, um, everyone is famous in this town
2: uh, mm.
1: and everyone is necessary. And mm-hmm. I, I, I love that, that idea that, that in a, in a, in actual community. And mm-hmm. of course that's, that may be overly glorifying of small town America. I don't mean to do that, but, but in, in any community, everybody in the community is famous mm-hmm. to the rest of the community. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. and
0: And everybody is necessary. I mean, I know that people who, Grow up in small towns, say, Oh, I wish I could just be anonymous. You know, I Uh wish that I wasn't recognized when I went to the grocery store, but you know, I live in New York City, the antithesis of a small town. And of course, there's lots to commend New York City. Yeah. And there is, there can be um, kind of crushing anonymity in a place this Uh big where you think, if I weren't here, no one would notice and no one would care.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And that is why uh, you know, people who live here, I think, especially Christians, would say, "All the more do you have to be intentional sure. about placing yourself in an embodied community, whether that's moving to a neighborhood where you know other people within a few blocks, or mm-hmm. you know, having a more intentional Christian community, or." at least just showing it you know it could be you know I'm committing myself to go out to brunch with my friends after church but something mm-hmm. where the anonymity and loneliness of a place like this can be counteracted with with being known and being loved.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you know people on your block in your or maybe in your building or do you just kind of not?
0: <laughs> well, I <laughs> I don't. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed by that because I write in this book about the need for mm-hmm. flesh and blood community. I've lived here for four years and and of course I have friends throughout the city that I see sure. on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, I do I do have a group of friends that yeah. we go out to brunch after church and yeah, I've seen
1: Seinfeld, so I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's exactly like that. Okay, <laughs> Actually, it would be really nice, you know, shows like Seinfeld and friends. (laughs) I think, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have friends who live right next door to you? So I, I recognize the people in my building, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we will say hi. And I'm sure if I needed them to, you know, pick up my mail or Mm -hmm. go get soup for me, if I were sick, that would happen. But that's something that I, I actively wrestle with Mm -hmm. living here.
1: Yeah, sure make sense okay um i'm gonna maybe change the change the subject a little bit um you know this is a podcast for people who are interested in putting creative work out in the world
2: mm-hmm.
1: and more or less by definition you have an interest in you know being an influencer in influencing somebody in your in your through your work mm-hmm. um I don't know that everybody who listens who listens to this podcast is hungry for celebrity, um, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I, I think this is. I mean, I've, I've seen at least one person on Twitter, you know, remark to you, "So are you a celebrity now that you've, you know, mm-hmm. that you that you're promoting yourself?" and <laughs> and um and I think they I think they were teasing, but but um, but it still is an interesting mm-hmm. question. You know what 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 are I mean you what's the question <laughs> the question is um what is a healthy attitude toward an online presence for instance um what's an, what's a healthy attitude toward the desire to influence without mm. being without being somebody you know who qualifies as an influencer as a, mm-hmm. as a you know i mean that, that word influencer is, uh, has very few positive connotations anymore
0: right well going back a little bit so you know i know a lot of people who are writers and artists are listening to this podcast and anybody who is creating a body of work whether that's an essay a book or a painting or an installation you know whatever it is yeah. you are yes you are creating this expressly to touch other people mm-hmm. um to either inspire or educate or Reshape the way people experience the world or experience God. The work of creativity implies an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it implies a dialogue, you know? Um, I don't know if it's the case that people in creative fields of work necessarily want to influence. I think of influence as a marketing term (laughs) which maybe gets at the tension of this Mm -hmm. um that when i encounter influencers christian influencers or not (laughs) on social media i i feel that the relationship is not a two-way street it's not dialogical Mm -hmm. it is you are trying Mm -hmm. to you're coming at me from a place of be- being on a pedestal higher up yeah. and trying to <laughs> convince me or even coerce me into something, <laughs> which is why it feels icky, you know? Yeah. And of course, a lot of that is tied into the commercial and business elements of influencing. Mm-hmm. But I think going back to the distinction between fame and celebrity, you know, if you are in a creative field, what you are offering to the world, the best thing that you can offer the world is your work. Mm-hmm. Not, not an image, not a personal brand. The attention is on the work itself. And that is going to be more transformational than just presenting and drawing attention back to yourself. So I, I think that might be one healthy distinction. I will say though that I, I don't know any book author... Who doesn't feel that they have to play the influencer game on some level? Because sure. publishers are saying, well, you need to be talking about your book on social media. You need to be
1: <laughs>
0: reminding people about it. You can go buy it here. And we need to come up with a marketing plan six months in advance of the book launch to make mm-hmm. sure that people know about it. And so I don't exactly know how to solve those tensions. I feel mm-hmm. them internally as i am launching a book and hope that people read it and also i am critiquing influencer culture in the book i don't know if there is a solution to the tension um because it simply seems to be what publishers expect of
1: authors these days Mm -hmm. you're an editorial director Um, how do you I mean, I know you're saying this. This tension is hard. I would think it would be harder to resolve in your role as an editorial director, even than as an author,
0: because <laughs> <laughs> I have to have principles as an editorial director.
1: Well, and and there's always the question of what's your platform. You know, what well, you're talking to
0: yeah, it is hard. It is harder as an editorial director because part of the valuation of my work is are we acquiring and publishing books that sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to consider questions of platform and reach when we are yeah. contracting books because we want books that sell. And what sells is authors with big platforms mm-hmm. as as a general rule.
2: Sure.
0: So I think about this and I and I should say I'm I'm grateful to be part of a publishing world at Baker that of course, looks at questions of platform, but also looks at other really important missional questions mm-hmm. you know quality of writing, timeliness of topic, originality of thought, mm-hmm. credentialing is does this person have credibility to write about this? Yeah. do they have, as far as we can tell, a measure of spiritual maturity to teach or talk about this? so I'm grateful to have that kind of freedom to bring more missional questions to the table but yeah it's it you know, not a week goes by that I don't receive a proposal from an author or an agent where it seems like there is more material in the proposal about the numbers attached to their social media accounts than to their actual writing. And we might even be lucky to get a writing sample.
1: <laughs> uh, wow! Yeah.
0: So my book is definitely a an attempt to be a call from within the house. Mm-hmm. To return to these other missional considerations when we're thinking about publishing books that serve people, we need to look, it's not that we table the questions of platform. Sure. But we also, but we need to bring a lot more considerations to the table.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, when you were talking about the other considerations, you know, credentialing and quality in originality of thought, these kind of issues. Platform's a lot easier to measure than any of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I understand the temptation for a publisher to say, yeah, you know what? <laughs> this, mm. by th- these this these numbers on this platform feel like a more reliable mm. way to gauge how successful this book is going to be. and by successful, I mean, of course, book sales. I mean, I, I understand the the pain of a of a publisher.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that a lot of publishers feel ill equipped to take creative risks,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we just know, as a general rule, that numbers translate to reach translate to sales,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and We know that this works. So we're going to keep doing the thing that works. Um, But of course, the sales can't be the only metric at play. And truthfully, Jonathan, (laughs) I I guess I'm just going to say this. Um, I work in Christian book publishing. I love the books I get to work on. I believe in book publishing as an enterprise. I don't spend a lot of time reading Christian books in my spare time mm-hmm. because a lot of those books seem to have been the result of this equation. You have a lot of followers. So surely you're equipped to write a book. So let's write the book.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: even if you can't actually write, we'll make up for that <laughs> oh. weakness you know, through mm-hmm. other means. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: I, I think questions of Quality, of course, but also even maybe witness mm-hmm. to a watching world are are at play.
1: Yeah, yeah. For years, I was part of that. Uh, I provided for the Rogers family by being part of that process of of helping those books that weren't good move from let's say really bad to mediocre. That, that was kind
0: of <laughs> publishable. <laughs> publishable.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mm-hmm. think I ever moved anything from really bad to really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, you know, did, like, did a lot of rewrite editing and it didn't, uh, that kind of takes it out of you. There, there weren't, a, there weren't a ton of those books that I, that I thought, I'm really glad I helped put that book in the world. <laughs> I was glad that I could pay my mortgage. My family had a place to do mm. you it know, for another month, mm-hmm. but, but that's, um, I was glad to get out of that business.
0: That mm. there was something demoralizing about the mm. lack of quality that you were seeing in the manuscripts you were being asked to transform into something publishable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are one or two books that I thought, I'm really glad, you know, this, this was a person that really had something to say and couldn't get it out. And I was really glad to help them, mm-hmm. but that was mm-hmm. the exception rather than the rule in that world.
0: Right. Right.
1: Well, I'm glad I, I mentioned before we started recording that I, I like what you're doing at Brazos press. I'm glad you're, you're publishing books with originality of thought and, and uh, that have, Good big ideas, um, and so I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're not only paying attention to uh, to platform. And so I, I urge you to, you know, keep fighting the good fight as far as that goes. And and uh, I know it's like I said, I understand why publishers do mm-hmm. what they do. Mm-hmm. I can't quite approve of them, but <laughs>
0: right, right. But,
1: but honestly, you understand,
0: you understand the pressures and the fact that you know businesses want to create a profit
1: yeah yeah can we return just real quickly to this idea of you really pushed back on the idea of being an influencer, and I know that is a I know that's an ugly word. like it was almost invented that you know to be used as a cudgel. Um, mm. <laughs> and and yet, uh, I mean, you said you don't want to be an influencer you want to enter into a dialogue, but the truth is, that the person who writes the book it's it's not an e- it's not an equal mm. dialogue, right? You are the person who writes the. I hope you you are hoping to influence people uh, through celebrities for Jesus.
0: I guess I feel more comfortable with the phrase "shape hearts and minds,"
1: okay. which is a Christianese <laughs>
0: phrase yeah. that allows us to prevent saying "influencer." Yes, yeah. of course, of course, I. The reason I wrote the book and the thing that helped me to keep writing the book when I didn't want to write anymore was I believe that people will benefit from hearing this. This will shape how they imagine Mm -hmm. Christian life and faithfulness in the contemporary world. Mm -hmm. I guess thought leadership could be another Christian, Christianese (laughs) phrase.
1: (laughs) Is, Is that better than influencer? I'm not sure it is. Um. No, go ahead. You're about to say something. I want to hear.
0: Yeah, I wonder if I'm more comfortable with those terms because influence is more subtle. It's a more. It implies a kind of subtler power, mm. and I am more comfortable when power dynamics are overt and obvious rather mm. than. Presenting as something that they're not, if that makes sense. Okay,
1: all right. Can you tell me about some of the dialogue that that your book has generated over the last? Mm. I I know it's only been a couple of weeks since it Mm -hmm. published, but I mean, I know now. I I thought it'd been out a little bit longer, but
0: yeah. Well, I have been surprised, pleasantly surprised, by how many people have said I read this in one sitting. (laughs) Mm, um and my mom was the first to say that but even beyond my mom there were apparently people who found it a compelling read that that is Uh, really great to hear just from a writer's perspective Um, and by the way you should
1: even be glad your mom read it because not everybody's mom reads. really gladier Gladier o'connor's mom uh (laughs) didn't read her books she she said she said she found her she gave her book for to her mom to read and she found her Asleep on page nine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think Flannery found some other fans to (laughs) to make up for the dearth of the the family support. Um,
1: She was an influencer.
0: (laughs) So yeah, many people have said, I read this in one sitting. Thank you for helping me to articulate something that I had intuited, but couldn't put my finger on. Mm -hmm. That's, really that really speaks to what i think of as my primary role as a writer Mm -hmm. not all all writers think of their writing like this but i i want to help make complex things clear Mm -hmm. um and give people language to understand and identify something complex so that has been great um i've had you know the book focuses primarily on the evangelical world and movement because that's the world that I know the best. Mm -hmm. It's the world Mm -hmm. that I grew up in. And I worked at the quote unquote evangelical flagship magazine for almost a decade um, where a lot of these stories of fallen Christian leaders were Mm -hmm. coming to light. Mm -hmm. I've had some people say, you know, this is a dynamic in the Catholic world, which is very interesting to me. This can be a dynamic in, this isn't just the non denominational megachurch world. It's also mm-hmm. can, it also can crop up in more mainline, kind of traditionally hierarchical church communities as well. So just, it's been interesting to hear people apply the broad themes of the book to their own particular mm-hmm. church well. context. I've had people say, you know, these dynamics can happen in small churches as well, which I think is mm-hmm. really true and apt. And I just tended to focus on the the big churches because that's where yeah. a lot of the most egregious stories have
2: sure.
0: have uh, come out of, you know, in the last several years. Um, I've been encouraged by people who were personally touched by the final chapter on ordinary faithfulness that mm-hmm. there is a kind of message of empowerment for lay Christians Mm, in the book. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, of course I've had people say, you can't write on this. You're a celebrity. (laughs) Isn't this ironic? Or isn't this, isn't, aren't you speaking out of two sides of your mouth? And I mean, truthfully, I, I don't think of myself as a celebrity, but I anticipated that kind of pushback uh, from the beginning. So
1: yeah. And I guess you just respond, "No, I've lived a life of virtue, and this fame has been a has been a byproduct of."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, has anybody gotten their feelings hurt? Has anybody said you're you're being ugly?
2: Mm. Not yet. Yeah. But I, it's been an interesting dynamic to.
0: Wade through because i do I do name names in the book mm-hmm. because I feel that I have to as a journalist sure. I, I don't want to talk about broad trends. I feel like we need to we need to be talking specifically as much as possible without making it personally
2: mm-hmm.
0: um punitive or sure. mean right. Yeah. I do think that there is somebody commented she has I think of her as a celebrity. She is friends with people in this Christian celebrity orbit. She said, I don't trust this book because it relies on journalists and we don't trust journalists. I don't trust journalists. (laughs) Like, well, I don't know how to reach you, but (laughs) I, there might be some barriers there. I did have an agent who represents many Christian celebrities asked mm-hmm. for a copy of the book. I think he was concerned that maybe I mm. was writing about some of his clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we sent him a copy. I haven't heard anything oh. back, but.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, one of the, but I know we need to wrap this up. Um, but one of the alarming things to me about some of the stories you told is realizing that there, you know, in your distinction between fame and celebrity, there were stories of people Who, for whom fame was a byproduct of a virtuous life, of doing good things. Mm -hmm. And then that somehow metastasized into a toxic sort of celebrity. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, so any of you famous people who are listening, be careful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's right. I think... In a lot of stories of these kind of the most uh, the most public stories of fallen Christian leaders, I genuinely believe that in a lot of those cases, the person who ended up falling and or hurting a lot of people started with really good motives.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And perhaps they found success at too young an age right. or kind of at a time where they didn't have the internal grounding and resources to properly manage the Mm -hmm. fame that came to them Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that they were implicitly and explicitly told by the people around them that actually we want to fuel your celebrity status as well, because it's good for the church because it aids in our growth. It it makes us look successful. Mm -hmm. We believe that God is part of the success. So we want to be part of what God is doing we can't stop the train because the train is moving really quickly and it's moving towards something exciting for all of us. So we don't want to curtail any of this. Mm-hmm. I think it, um, yeah, it can start with really good motives and then become something big and unwieldy and damaging.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you don't re- even realize until you're out of it and looking back, oh, I helped perpetuate this too because of the way that I treated
1: mm-hmm. or
0: thought of the central figure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you one last question. That is who are the writers who make you want to write?
0: Hmm. Well, <laughs> I just said, I don't really read Christian books. <laughs> okay. um, so gosh, I really like, uh, when I think about good journalistic kind of writing um, Truman Capote's in cold blood, you know, kind of the origin of the true crime Mm -hmm. genre, at least in book form Mm -hmm. and his ability to tell like a a journalistic account of something that really happened, but have it read like a novel is just Uh an incredible feat of, of journalistic work. Um. I think about Jody Cantor and Megan Twohy who are investigative reporters at the New York times Mm -hmm. who broke the Harvey Weinstein story back in 2018 and went on to write Mm -hmm. a book, basically a book about how they told that story uh, called she said that I just think Mm -hmm. is an incredible piece of investigative journalism. Um, on the fiction side, I mean, you mentioned Flannery O'Connor, um, I love her collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big Lord of the Rings. Well, when I say big, that's all relative because uh-huh. I haven't read the Silmarillion. so yeah, I, w- right. you know, so I'm probably not a big uh-huh. <laughs> Tolkien fan. Yeah. But I mean, I, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is, you know, top three books of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on this topic, just an incredible, imaginative take on, the temptations of power and how power yeah, right. corrupts. Um, I like George Saunders. He's yeah. like a very quirky contemporary writer who I think has a new collection of short stories coming out this fall. So, okay. those are some writers who who inspire me and who I am not even close to in terms of yeah, right. sure. <laughs> writerly skill, but who yeah. make me want to keep writing.
1: Yeah. Have you seen George Saunders' book about fiction writing, uh, Swimming a Pond in the Rain? Mm-mm. Oh, it's so good. So he, he reads. He walks the reader through seven. Um, stories by Russian fiction writers Mm. and says, here's how, here's how they did it. You know, it it is, it's really good. So Mm. if you have any interest in fiction writing, you need to check that out. It's a great book.
2: Mm. And
0: it's, what is the name of it?
1: It's called A Swim in a Pond in the Rain.
0: A Swim in a Pond in the Rain.
1: Yep. That's great. All right, Caitlin, Beatty, thank you so much for being here. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: The Habit Podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.